0: Well, we've reached the halfway point in our study. And interestingly, the book of Daniel itself falls into two halves, if you will. With the first six chapters of the book, we've seen Daniel's life unfold. We first saw him when he was taken into captivity at around the age of 15. We saw how he served God with integrity throughout the many challenges to his faith. And our last glimpse of him in chapter six shows him at the age of approximately 82 or 83 years old. According to the text, we've seen him serve under at least two of the kings of Babylon, namely Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, as well as under two of the kings of the Medo-Persian Empire, Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian. The first six chapters reveal that Daniel was a wise and gifted statesman who was really used by God to speak to the power brokers of the world at that time. However, despite his incredible witness for the Lord in the palaces of the pagan kings, Daniel was far more than a statesman who had a God-given ability to interpret dreams and visions. According to Jesus himself, he was also a prophet— as stated in Matthew 24 verse 25, meaning that God would speak through Daniel to reveal his word and his plans for both those who followed him and for those who didn't. Over the course of his life, Daniel received four visions, which are recounted in the next section of the book, chapters 7 through 12. These visions occurred at various moments in the events we've learned about in the first six chapters, though they were not mentioned then. But Daniel is careful to point out the times and often the places when the various visions were given. Daniel received his first vision by way of a dream from the Lord when he was about 67 years old, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. And so this event, detailed in chapter 7, actually occurred sometime between chapters 4 and 5 of Daniel's book. It is worth noting that Daniel's first vision parallels Nebuchadnezzar's dream many years previously of the great image which was recorded in Daniel chapter 2. If you remember, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of a huge image made of different metals. Each metallic section represented a different kingdom of the world that would rule. Beginning with Nebuchadnezzar's own Babylonian empire, which was represented as a head made from gold, the statue transitioned into silver, which symbolized a shift in world dominance to the Medo-Persian empire that would follow. Next, the bronze belly and thighs depicted Greek supremacy in the region, followed by the legs of iron that represented the Romans. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the final kingdom of the world was embodied in the feet and ten toes of the image. Made from a mixture of iron and clay, this kingdom was revealed to be an unstable alliance between different nations to form the global government of the end times that would greatly affect the Jewish nation for a while, before being finally destroyed and replaced, of course, by the kingdom of God and the King of Kings himself. Daniel's first vision also dealt with these same transitioning powers. But interestingly, whereas the worldly king Nebuchadnezzar saw them as something almost artistic, a sculpture or an image made from precious metals, Daniel, the man of God, saw these same world superpowers as being like ferocious beasts that caused havoc and destruction. So let's look at Daniel's dream. The first 14 verses of chapter 7 detailed what Daniel saw, and the second 14 verses show an angel who not only reveals but expands upon the interpretation of the vision. Verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. So notice that all four of these great Beasts come up from the sea. In prophetic scripture, the sea is often used as a reference to the nations of the world, to those people who do not follow the living God. But according to Daniel, even so, these godless nations are being stirred up by the winds of heaven. I love that at the beginning of the vision, it speaks clearly that God is sovereign and that he controls the rise and fall of worldly powers. When the angel interprets this vision for Daniel in verse 17, we will learn that the four great beasts are actually four kings that will rise from the earth, and each of them represents a kingdom of the world that will affect Daniel and his people. Let's look at the first beast in verse 4. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground, so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. Notice this beast was not a lion, it was like a lion. It also had eagle's wings. In Jeremiah 4, 7 and verse 13, there are references to Nebuchadnezzar being lion, like a lion and also like an eagle. We remember from Daniel 4, that at one time Nebuchadnezzar acted like a beast of the field. But once he looked toward heaven, He was transformed and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to him. So, this first beast of Daniel's vision, this lion, equates to the gold head of Nebuchadnezzar's image representing the Babylonian Empire. And what of the next beast, verse 5? And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. The second bear-like beast is rather peculiar in that its sides are unequal. One is elevated above the other. Do you remember I mentioned that the alliance between the Medes and the Persians was not an even one? The Persians, being stronger of the two tribes, were raised up above the other. And so we see this lopsided bear-like creature represents the alliance of the Medes and the Persians. The meaning of the three ribs in the creature's mouth has been greatly debated. These likely represent the three regions of Lydia, Egypt and Babylon that were conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. The bear of Daniel's vision equates to the silver chest and arms of the image in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The fact that this beast would get up to eat its fill of flesh really suggests the terrible destruction that would come as a result of their many battles. But soon enough, the third beast will arise. Verse 6. After that I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. Obviously, a new kingdom corresponding with the vision of the belly and thighs of bronze on Nebuchadnezzar's image would come in to conquer the region. And when it did, it would be swift and stealthy like a leopard. And this was proved true when the famous warrior Alexander the Great took control of the region for the Greeks. Alexander was an incredible fighter who conquered most of the known world by the time that he was just 18. His rule did not last, however, as he died in Babylon at the age of 33, and because he had no heirs, his kingdom was divided up under the control of four of his generals and advisors. These different leaders are represented in the four heads of this beast. As their divided control diminished, the Romans rose to power in the region, and this is the basis for the very troubling fourth beast of Daniel's vision. Verse 7. After that in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Daniel is hard-pressed to describe this fourth beast. It's like nothing his mind has ever known. All he can think to say is that it is terrifying and frightening and very powerful. With its iron teeth, it devoured its victims, and he speaks of it trampling underfoot whatever was left. We realize that this beast equates to the iron legs of Nebuchadnezzar's vision. This is a vision of the Roman an empire, which according to Daniel will somehow be different from all the beasts that went before it. Daniel is especially troubled about this particular beast because he notices it has ten horns and while he's considering them, he observes another horn, a little one, that comes up in the midst of them. Now, I appreciate that for the moment this vision seems strange to us, but these ten horns do match the ten toes of Nebuchadnezzar's statue. The symbol of horns is often used in prophetic scripture. To help us grasp their meaning though, I want you to imagine an African rhino with its large horn. Can you guess where most people would say the animal's power lies? In the horn. In a similar way, prophetic scripture speaks of horns as being symbols for the power and authority of rulers. Soon enough, we'll see that the angel will interpret these horns for Daniel as representing ten kings. Today, these ten political leaders would likely be elected officials that rule over different countries. Among these ten, another horn, or political ruler, arises. It is believed that this little horn that Daniel saw represents the end-time world leader whom the Bible calls the Antichrist. This leader, who is against Christ and everything Jesus stands for, will initially be supported by ten political leaders. But after some time when they are no longer useful to the Antichrist and he no longer needs their support, he will uproot three of those leaders, stripping them of their authority. In Revelation chapter 13, John revealed a similar vision from the Lord concerning that final global government. In his vision, John also describes a beast with 10 horns, and he even describes that final beast as being like a leopard that had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. In other words, the beast of Revelation contains the elements of of all Daniel's beasts within it. And like Daniel's fourth beast, John's beast speaks proudly and is seen to oppress God's people for three and a half years. We will deal with this in more detail in a future lesson, but for now, do you see how Daniel declares that the little horn of his vision had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully? Eyes in prophetic scripture are used as a symbol for wisdom. This leader will have great worldly wisdom because we're told that these are like the eyes of a man. Not only that, he will also be a great speaker because there's an emphasis made of his mouth. His pride is worth noting too because his words will all be boastful. Daniel's vision then transitions from this end-time global ruler to the rule of God, whose scripture also reveals to be the Ancient of Days. The scene changes in a dramatic way. Look at verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. So God is known as the Ancient of Days because he is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. And he is seated on his throne. The court of heaven is in The Lord is described here as having clothing as white as snow and hair white like wool. Fire is not only around him, it's also coming out before him. All of this is symbolic of God's purity and his power and flames always speak of his judgment against sin. Here we get a glimpse of heaven and God's final judgment of mankind. Notice at the end of verse 10, we're told that the books were opened. These are the books where God's records have been kept. The pompous words of the little horn will not last. God is about to silence him. Verse 11. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. The final empire is destroyed and the Antichrist and all those who serve him are cast into the lake of fire revealed here as the blazing fire. The Bible uses hell, the lake of fire and also the term outer darkness to describe the final destination of all who reject Jesus. In this place, there is a complete separation from God, which is both never-ending and inescapable. Those who chose to have no fellowship with God in this life will eventually be given their heart's desire for all eternity. But what a dreadful place that will be as the Bible describes it as a place of terrible regret where there will be weeping and groaning. Daniel's vision is not over, however, and he declares in verse 13, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, all peoples, Nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You'll be interested to know that that title, Son of Man, is used 82 times to describe Christ in the Gospels. And Jesus used this title of himself more than any other The designation is repeatedly used of Christ in the book of Revelation also. The scriptures declare that God himself is the one who comes with the clouds of heaven and here at the judgment, Jesus, the Son of Man, comes with the clouds of heaven just as he promised to do in Matthew 24 verse 30 and also in Mark 14 verse 62. Authority, glory, and sovereign power is given to him, and Christ is worshipped, by people of every language. As Paul promised in Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11, God has exalted Christ to the highest place and he has given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ's kingdom is the everlasting kingdom that shall not be destroyed or pass away. Daniel continues in verse 15. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the saints, the holy people of the Most High, will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. We're told that Daniel asked one of the angels standing nearby what all this meant, and the angel immediately revealed the interpretation. The four beasts are in fact four kingdoms, as we've already said, but the saints, which is the name given to all of God's holy people, those who have entrusted themselves to Jesus, will receive God's kingdom, and no one shall be able to snatch it from their hands. I love that verse 18 clearly affirms that we will receive. God's kingdom. This is something that is graciously given to us by God himself. It is not something that we have to earn. However, Daniel is still troubled, for he does not yet fully understand the meaning of the fourth beast. Verse 19. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. "'I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head "'and about the other horn that came up "'before which three of them fell, "'the horn that looked more imposing than the others "'and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. "'What or who is this final beast "'and the horn that came up in the midst of the others, "'which, though it started out small, "'grew in power until it was greater than the rest?' Daniel is especially anxious to know because of what this leader does next in his vision, verse 21. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them, until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favour of the saints of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. Daniel sees how that final world leader is not only against God, but against God's people. At that time, there will be a terrible persecution of believers on the earth, and for a time, this final world leader will prevail against them. But only until God comes in judgment to destroy the Antichrist's rule and establish his own kingdom over the face of the earth. Ultimately, God shall defend his people— and and he will destroy the unrighteous. The angel gives Daniel clarification in verse 23. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and press his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and half a time. The final world government will be different from all the others and its influence will spread further than any other kingdom in history. The whole earth will be swallowed up by it and ten kings, today we would call them elected national officials, will be associated with this one world government – backing a particular political figure who will arise at that time. However, he will not need their support for long and three of the original ten rulers who supported him will be subdued by him. He will overpower them. Daniel's vision also foretold several other specific things that the Antichrist will do. He will speak pompous words against the Most High. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians 2.4, it tells us that he will go as far as to say that he is God. Not only that, he will oppress God's people. He will also try to change the set times and the laws, the calendar and the legal system. And God's people will in fact be given into his hand. They will be under his authority for a time, times and half a time. What does that mean? It will become clear as we study more of Daniel's visions, but in the book of Revelation, which also focuses on the period of time, just before Christ's return, when the world rule of the Antichrist is at its height, we are told there of a seven-year period known as the Tribulation, during which the Antichrist will have increasing power. At the halfway point, three and a half years into the tribulation, he will demand that all people worship him and when the followers of God refuse, a terrible persecution will break out against the people of God. We see it referenced here in Daniel's vision also, where the saints or followers of Christ are handed over to the Antichrist for a time, times and half a time. In this case, a time is a period of one year. Times, being plural, references two years, and a half a time corresponds to a half a year or six months. This final three and a half year period before the return of the Lord will be a horrible time on earth for anyone who will not bow before the Antichrist. Notice the outcome in verse 26, however. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Whose court is seated? We saw it before. It is God's court, the court of heaven that is seated. And it is called into session to take authority away from the Antichrist. The good news is that according to scripture, the tyrannical reign of the Antichrist is limited to those 42 months and no more. Then God promises to judge the little horn and completely destroy his power forever you <laughs> verse 27. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. As bad as everything has been in the final three and a half year period, God has never ceased being sovereign and he is now arising as the judge. His court will be seated and the Antichrist's power will be taken away and destroyed forever. Those who belong to God, the saints, in other words, those who believe in Jesus, will be victorious though they do not fight or rise up. Everything will be handed over to the saints of the Most High and we will rule with Jesus as detailed in the book of Revelation. Then Daniel concludes, This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Daniel was greatly disturbed as he considered these things, and I'm sure some of us may also be troubled greatly by our thoughts as we look at them. But like Daniel, let us keep the matter in our hearts for now, and in our next lesson, we'll be able to make more sense of all of this. Daniel's vision of the four beasts warned Israel that there would be a procession of enemies and world rulers holding authority over them. However, they should not lose heart and nor should we. In the end, as it has been from the beginning, God is in control. Jesus will come to defeat the kingdoms of this world and he will establish his throne forever. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that no matter what happens in this chaotic world, we can look forward to the time when your heavenly court will sit. The worldly powers will be brought to nothing, and Christ shall reign, and we will be with him. Lord, thank you so much that you are a God who does not desert your people, but that you help them to endure through tri- times of trial. Till we can see all that you have planned come to pass. Father God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to the praise and glory of Christ's name alone. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.